Hang 5 Podcast, episode 28. An integral part of being a BMX rider, let alone a flatland rider, is the rig you ride on. Most of us are quite particular about parts. Being somewhat of a small community makes it a challenge to produce quality parts at a reasonable rate. Distribution is also not easy. Specialty BMX shops are few and far between, and often more of a labor of love than key to financial success. This time I had the opportunity to chat with Attila Thot, owner of Vienna-based 4PEX BMX shop. Here is his story. So Attila, welcome. Nice to have you on the on the show today. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself? Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on this podcast. I, I have to tell you that I was a little bit nervous about it because it is I'm I'm usually a person who is who likes to prepare for things. And uh, I I I'm I don't say that I'm meticulous in planning, but I like to prepare myself to just uh, touch on a couple of topics. But uh, today I really try to be as spontaneous as I can about it. I am Attila Tod. I come from Hungary. I live in Vienna, Austria for eight years now. And I run a Forpex BMX, which is a BMX shop exclusively online. So I don't have a brick and mortar shop. This is only the web shop. Yeah, that is also actually turned five years old the day before yesterday or something. I, I can't really remember, but it's also the anniversary of that. Yeah. Congratulations. That's great. That's that's really a nice uh, milestone. I can see, I know, Thank for you. everybody uh, who's uh, listening to the show, uh, Attila and I are on video and I can see a whole bunch of boxes and, and sweatshirts behind him. So uh, yeah. uh, it's it's an online shop, mm-hmm. but uh, he, he still has to store things somewhere. So you're, Correct, you're, from, yeah. uh, you're from Hungary originally. What made you move to Vienna? Basically, it was it was in 2015 when I made the decision to move to Austria. So basically, when when I was a kid, uh, I grew up. I mean, oh, that sounds so stupid. When I was a kid, I grew up somewhere, but it's obvious. Where I was born, it's really close to the Austrian border. It's, uh, for example, if you look at Hungary and Budapest, is in the in the middle, in the center. I uh, was always kind of far away from that city, so it was for me. Um, it was more about Austria because I grew up uh, knowing a lot of Aust- Austrian people. My dad uh, spoke German and also Hungarian. So for me, it, it was not really a faraway experience that when I say, okay, I moved to Austria and it sounds uh, like a huge cultural shock or something, but it was uh, pretty an obvious one to me. Now I, I see that basically that it was not a big surprise when I look back that I moved here. Mm. But uh, I went first to Budapest. I lived there for a couple of years uh, to get this uh, living alone, basically, um, and not with my parents kind of feel for life. And then I just wanted a bigger challenge for myself. I think also professionally, because I was working for an IT company uh, in Budapest. And also I wanted to, I somehow had this urge to use uh, different languages beside my own native language and uh, to just try and yeah get better at them and just use them on a daily basis so um, it maybe brings something as a different perspective in my life. I don't know. That was my also my motivation. Mm-hmm. So you speak three languages, Hungarian, German and English? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I, I Very have good. to. Thank you. 
That's that's um, good because my my Hungarian and my my German is pretty poor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the point now that I don't think that I speak any of these languages. I constantly I'm in a like a mixed state of mind and I say yeah. sentences which is that shouldn't be like it is not proper um grammatically if I want to say it in English or in German or in Hungarian and just a fluent mix of these three and mm -hmm. um, to me it's 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 funny but uh, I somehow yeah I get the confusion from people so you say that uh, you know you you grew up uh, in a town close to the Austrian border and then yes. and then you moved out and uh, you lived a few couple of years in Budapest before moving to Vienna so can we talk about your age or the range like are you in your what okay. man I'm, I'm 33 this is so <laughs> this is so hard to to speak you know this this th That's I agree native English speaker man it would be like much easier yeah but uh yeah double three or how to how should I say it yeah 33 um, yeah all right Cool. And then um, to get back a little bit more on topic now that you've introduced yourself, Hungary is a pretty hardcore flatland country. They have a lot of uh, guys that are there, you know, O.G. Martin uh, came from there, yes. Dennis, uh, and of course, um, uh, countless of other guys. I know you said you were remote or removed a little bit from Budapest, and uh, I don't know if most of the writers in Hungary are in Budapest, but were you involved in BMX uh, from a young age? I started when I was 15, it was 2005, mm -hmm. um, because my idea was that uh, I, I really like to uh, ride mountain bikes, but uh, my idea was that maybe when I go to high school, a BMX is just easier to take with me. I didn't even know that BMX as a sport existed. I went to high school and um, it was uh, like a boarding school. I don't know if the expression is right, but I lived yeah, there. Yeah, it is. Uh, so you lived there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, boarding and, school. And uh, I took the bike with me and it was great. And I was just riding around. I never thought about doing tricks. Maybe a couple of jumped down a couple of stairs. And uh, I had a mongoose, uh, which was about like 23 kilos or even like it was a beast. It was a tank. And um, it was like 40 pounds, <laughs> something like that really heavy but I never really cared about it because I thought yeah the heavier the, it is the better it is because it's sturdier and I can just use it forever mm -hmm. for some reason like a kid kid brain basically and uh, then I saw a guy doing flatland flatland tricks and it just completely blew my mind I didn't believe that it's possible on a bike to do anything like that and I think he was just doing if I remember right he was just doing uh, a couple of like balancing tricks, not e not even any scuffing or rolling on one wheel. He was on two wheels, doing like a front yard kind of trick, but in on two wheels. And uh, but he had really good flow. But this is like almost twenty years ago, and um, yeah, it was just mind blowing to me. He also accidentally had a mongoose bike, or he had at least a sticker on it that was from mongoose, and it was I I just felt an instant connection to it that okay, this can be coincidence because I also ride a mongoose bike which was of course completely irrelevant but it was for me like a big motivation and uh, from that day on I just started to ride flatland actively uh, every day after school and I think this was like I got the bike at 2005 and it was around 2006 something something like this but you met him did you talk to him did yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we became friends. And uh, I think I was really annoying to him. 
uh, first because I was just way too excited about it. And uh, actually, then he took me to my first contest as well. When I first entered the contest after a couple of years, uh, he was he was the person who took me there. And uh, yeah, but uh, definitely just in general, the Hungarian flatland scene. I mean, when I started, I didn't know anything about what flatland was or freestyle or trails or whatever. I just had a bike and had fun with it. And, and I only knew this guy. <clears throat> who showed me the show me showed me a couple of tricks like we did for one year we did like four or five tricks I think and I felt this is like this is the best you can get in BMX and that was mm -hmm. a couple of really basic tricks and um, I came across a magazine in Hungary uh, there was it's called offline magazine I mean it was called that it doesn't exist anymore the magazine was uh, basically including all kinds of extreme sports inline skating skateboard uh, i think trial or yeah like that kind of things uh, street bmx park and flatland and um i just recognized that they these are also flatland tricks that we do and i just got more into it way more into it and uh, i saw the different bikes the styles also the people who back then were really i mean i think the, the hungarian flatland level is still extremely high but about 15 years ago it was insanely high and then or, or around 10 years ago when for example adam kuhn was just like he got his first sponsor for example or mm -hmm. uh, but he was also i think I, i'm i'm not exactly sure on this i'm not really good in this uh, trivia but when he was 15 or 16 years old he was already on a really really good level and uh, yeah, there was. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you listened to the previous podcast with uh, Anatol, uh, but we yeah, did. With it, the tour. It's a it's it's a topic about uh, has has flatland becoming a bit more uh, less technical than it used to be. And then we did we did mention uh, Adam <laughs> in the podcast and talking about the fact that there was an edit that came out with uh, a shared edit between him and Matthias around yeah. 2007 that was really 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 high uh, with high difficulty technically. Uh, and yeah, I know, I know that uh, the flatland scene in Hungary was way ahead. Probably, I'd say, unfor unfortunately, uh, the, the riders don't go out that much out of Hungary. I mean, they, the scene is quite closed. Um, yeah, true. But their level is really, really high. The uh, hyperspeed Johnny and destruction kid. That was That's right. That's yeah, right. It was. I watched it a million times, I guess. Uh, and uh, also that I think it had a second part as well with the whole uh, visual editing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just took a walk before this interview and I was thinking that how fortunate we were or I was growing up in that environment. Because um, back back in the day, I think I kind of, or I think maybe this is uh, kind of a natural thing, but we kind of took it for granted, you know, that this is a basic thing that we grew up with all these extremely high level athletes mm -hmm. and uh, all the multimedia around it, basically this magazine, this offline magazine, this was also a kind of a big outlet for us because this was, you know, this became a goal that I want to be in that magazine. And then if I'm in, in that uh, and I have some kind of coverage, then I made it, that I got recognized. And this keep, kept people hungry. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, uh, just wanted, wanting more and more recognition. And also OJ Martin was doing his Trickstar series. And then with Sevijo and with, with other people, the 
the, the media thing kind of got more attention as well. The cameras or, um, yeah, cameras and, and uh, other devices got just much more affordable. So we could show our levels or, or riding uh, way easier. But this was already, I think this was before internet and then came uh, the whole global flat forum uh, era. Mm -hmm. But in Hungary, there was also a closed, like kind of closed website uh, called BMX Mag, uh, which had a really vibrant forum. We, I would say more than 100 people at the time who were constantly actively uh, contributing to the forum and riding Hungary in Hungary, which is if you compare the that the population is just about a million or less and you have more than 100 active flatland riders and maybe a couple of more who just ride on and off. Mm -hmm. It's insane. I mean, to me, at least it's insane, even now that uh, we were so many of uh, riders at that time. Yeah, I, I think I really turned away from your question. I don't even no, remember no, no. what was the question. But... <laughs> no, no, that's good. It's yeah. good. How is the scene now in Hungary? Do you sometimes go back? I do, yes. Uh, I also have to admit that I got more distant from the Hungarian scene because I just basically am not there. My, I, I built up my life now, now in, in Austria mm -hmm. and um, I think it would be um, a little bit strange to say that I'm still completely um, aware what is going on in Hungarian scene currently. But as far as I know, um, I would say sourcing of the, of the new riders changed completely because what I see now that people or, the, or kids um, don't really start riding just because they see it somewhere because they get so many impulses from probably social media mm -hmm. that uh, it doesn't stand out at all anymore. So for example, I, I was, I grew up in a village and when I saw one guy riding on a Chrome bike, I thought this is like the end of the world that this couldn't get any better. Mm -hmm. And now you have uh, so many things just completely bombarding you. And, uh, also, when I lived in Budapest, so before 2015, I think there were only two or three guys who were starting out. And the only one who I, who I still think rides and started around that time is Philip Vidakovic. He is probably now the one of the best riders in the current Hungarian scene. He is also really young, about 22, 23 years old. And he rides at Hero Square in Budapest. Uh, so that's like, you can't get more Hungarian flatlander than that if you do that. No, that's uh, true. <laughs> that's like really stereotypical, but he got really good. And um, I remember, I think it was in 2013, I lived with, uh, in Budapest with Shane Badman from Australia. Mm -hmm. And it was really, it was really good. We had a lot of guests just riding, riders uh, coming to the flat and staying with us. And uh, we met Philip. Uh, do, you know, do you know who Philip is? Have you seen some videos about him? No. Um, anyway, he's, he's an up-and-coming rider, but he's a young pro. And uh, basically, my only memory is that uh, from that era, so 2013, 14, something like that, he was basically the only rider who was new. And uh, if I think about it, that's, uh, I mean, to me, that was really sad. I didn't understand why people are not starting with BMX. And now the... The situation didn't really change. The only thing that is a breath of uh, fresh air is uh, Rob Alton's BMX school. I don't know mm -hmm. if you know him. I do. Rob I Alton. Do. 
and he i think what he did is pretty pretty insane especially given that he is from england he's not hungarian and he he created a flatland school there with i don't know how many kids but at least 10 of them right really actively and i think there are more um but uh i don't know the exact number but he is basically uh creating a completely new line of hungarian flatlanders or beginners and he's giving them really good basics and he, does, um, he organizes a contest as well right yeah yeah exactly exactly uh shout out and, to rob uh, Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. It, it, he amazed me because we were always communicating in English and then he, he started to speak Hungarian to me and I still can't really, I mean, I was answering to him in English because it was so unusual, but, uh, yeah, so absolutely massive respect to him. But, uh, other than that, I don't know about any, any kids, you know, who just starts out of the blue, but it's, of course, it's possible that they just don't post on Instagram because nowadays my only source or not my only source, but possibly 90% of my, uh, writing sources are from social media and maybe mm. they are just, you know, doing their own thing and having fun and not posting about it so much. I think it's not, uh, you know, it's not unique to Hungary. I think it's the problem mm. or a challenge everywhere in the world for to to get people to start because, as you rightly said, um, they get a lot of different influences: social media, game consoles, everything. It's not like I mean, I'm yes. I'm a little older than you, but when we were growing up, you know, there was not all that, and we would just go out and then yeah, do our sure. own thing. Um, now they have so much more to choose from. Uh, also, and it's it's a bit of a more con controversial topic, perhaps, but uh, I think that the entry level for Flatland it's it's kind of difficult for people, you know, mm -hmm. to uh, definitely they, they see guys <laughs> spinning around or or jumping or flipping the bikes and like oh and yeah. you know they'll never do that and you need to put a lot of time and effort and Correct. I think this new the new generation tends to want uh, instant gratification, so it's a little bit more challenging. Definitely. I think it's really intimidating, to be honest. Uh, mm. Also, in general, just the, the prices, uh, this touches on also a little bit on the industry. But in my opinion, just if you think about it, how these brands, like all the, like I would say big brands, uh, but it's these brands are also not big compared to mountain bike or uh, road cycling brands, but I would say big BMX brands. They basically all were just some kind of garage, uh, like working out of some kind of garage or they had a good idea and they tried their luck. And then these companies are growing up, getting bigger, uh, more profit oriented. And uh, this wonder or this illusion is slowly just going away. Then how they getting more, <clears throat> how they getting just bigger and bigger. And um, this is just one component to the whole thing. But uh, if you see, what's on the market right now there is basically one complete bike that you can get which me and and there are i mean for flatland sorry i should have said that for flatland like one specific bike at least on the european market because i wouldn't count here um japan for example because they had have plenty of bikes to choose from just even in normal bike shops but for example what i what i can personally import to europe is one complete bike from colony and that's it. And if you don't have money to buy that, which is at this moment 700 euros, then then you don't mm. really have a chance because you can try to do flatland on other bikes, but it will have really big tires. It is heavy. 
it is made for park riding, which means it is a stable bike. You will not be will be able to just move out from the axis, you know, to just do a hang five. It will for a I don't know for like a forty kilograms heavy kid. It will be a really big challenge. And uh, but I can also believe when someone's parents doesn't have just like seven hundred euros that hey dear here's a sport try it out maybe you will like flatland. So basically, you need to know that you want to ride flatland mm. to even start it. And it makes it even more problematic to just like out of the blue get a bike, because uh, when I started flatland riding, there was the classic OG bike shop in Budapest, which was run by OG Martin and um, Andras uh, painted back in the day. It was in Budapest, and I remember that they had just flatland specific bikes for not 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 much money i mean i had to work for one one summer for that money but uh but it was really easily accessible you know it was just i just ordered it next day or in two days it was there and i had a flatland bike that i could afford as a kid on my was was it uh, locally produced no what kind of bike was, was from, it it was from taiwan i mean if you remember this uh, og bikes that their mm -hmm. uh, pro products i mean it was before the whole kung fu and uh, what what they had the Dadan and they had a good and a good couple of uh, products but uh, they I think they just find a really good supplier in Taiwan um, and they started to import bikes and first I think the only market they were present was the Hungarian market and they sold lots of those bikes and mm -hmm. uh, they were the geometry was flatland oriented uh, it had uh, 1.9 inch tires so the width was uh, perfect plastic seats uh, gyro front brake four packs so it was it, it was a great bike and as a kid I didn't really had to struggle for it to buy it and uh, because I, I made a deal with my parents that they won't buy me anything I have to work for it so I think my parents wanted to show me that I have to earn something and not just get it and I appreciated it much more and uh, but it was not like a huge struggle but right now i don't really know any kid who can just come up with 700 euros or the parents buy it and then the kid doesn't really have any interest because there was no sweat and tears uh behind earning that money mm. or, it's, know, it's an investment for sure it is yeah, it is yeah. an investment i think the, the other component to what you you just said is uh, the fact that you know, it's still a 20 inch. And if we want to have people yeah. starting up younger, they need the smaller ones. I know, sure. I know you, you mentioned the Japanese brands, uh, I think Aries and, and others, they have a 16 inch and, and perhaps yeah. even smaller. Correct. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, <laughs> but, but definitely the cost of entry is a barrier for sure. Yes. Maybe not everybody ag agrees with you that, you know, you, we need a, a fully dedicated flatland bike and, and there is some, entry-level uh, street bike that could be used but Definitely. of course they're, they're they're steel and not chromo and so they, they makes it heavier and they're not they're not um, specially uh, designed for flatland yeah uh, and then none of them typically no no street bike has front brakes to start with uh, and then they probably don't want to have a gyro you know if they have a rear brake it's just a straight cable they, you know, and the pegs and not, et cetera, et cetera. But may, maybe that is a way. I don't know. The struggle you describe is, I, I believe, is worldwide. Maybe not in Japan, which is a scene on its own. But uh, North America is the same. We get, you know, we get to jams and then 
you know, the average age is 35 years old or 40 years old, yeah, and it's it's definitely. it's not very good for a, for a scene. I remember back in the day when I started, you know, it, it was coming from the U.S. and then the U.K. was huge scene. Uh, and then you, you look at now and it's, you know, not not that many people right there. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a big scene in, in, in Europe, in France, in Germany and, and some degree in Austria and Spain. But it's, it's you know, a few people here and there. Like, you know, I like when you mentioned, you know, oh, this, there were 100 uh, riders in Hungary when you started. And then it's a small country. And then I think a few, couple of years back, me and my friends here, in Canada, we try to uh, we try to count the number of people that we know ride uh, mm-hmm. on a semi-regular or regular basis. And you know, Canada is a little bit bigger; it's 35 million people. Uh, but I don't think we were we were at that level. I don't think there's 100 riders. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. it's tough. Definitely, it's it's interesting. But uh, I mean, flatland is 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 a really hard sport. I uh, get a couple of uh, customers who then. Most of them become friends and uh, I try to guide them through this, I would say, flatland journey or maybe just to introduce them into it. And uh, there are some people who just don't find the, the love in this kind of sport because this is really re- uh, repetitive and you have to be consistent. You have to endure, be able to endure a lot of things and, and also pain, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and have to be strong uh, mentally and there are some people and and i don't uh, think that there are any pre- uh, judices because of that um because of social media or anything they just get on the bike they try it and after a couple of months they realize that this is not something they would like to pursue pursue so um and and even the amount of people who are trying this um, just flatland uh, is reducing, then you will get less and less consistent riders. You know, if, if I could get 500 people every month to try flatland and like two or one rider would uh, stay there and would, they would say, okay, I want to do this for a couple of years, at least when I'm young, that would be great. But if I can get only two or three people a month to try a flatland bike, then I have so so much less chances to to get a couple of uh, people who will stick with it mm-hmm. but you are definitely right basically you don't necessarily need a flatland bike to start flatland because i also didn't have it now that i'm thinking about it because i i was i think talking from the shop's perspective but uh, to just go out and ride and enjoy bmx riding you don't need a specific whatever bmx that's true and then uh, I also only got my uh, flatland bike when I was when I knew that I wanted to ride flatland when I had some kind of idea about it, and um, so yeah, uh, definitely you are right, right on that. I didn't really think about it. Uh, sometimes I get a couple of uh, people who ask me that how can they turn around their bikes to be more flatland specific, and um, at the end of the day, we always come up come out with an amount of money that it does not make sense to just convert mm. a bike that is not a flatland specific bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's much better to sell it and then buy a flatland specific bike, a complete bike, or to build one up from the start because to just just to convert it is, yeah, it also got way more expensive. Do you still ride a lot? I don't ride a lot, unfortunately. I mean, um, I ride, um, but not a lot. This is something that's really bugging me, honestly. This year, uh, this summer, I barely had any time 
And I also have to admit, I barely had any motivation to go out and ride because uh, I moved away from the spot in Vienna and I live more outside from the city now. And uh, it is pretty much a hustle now to get into the city center and ride there. And I can't afford to do that every day, not even every week. And there are no proper spots in the area here and I don't have a car either. So I was uh, thinking that maybe I will just leave it as it is for the summer because I don't like wasting my time and uh, I don't like to, it really demotivates me when, uh, when I try to ride on a spot where I can't even pull my safest tricks. And it really, I, I, just, I just tend to think then, okay, I will not, not ride, I will do something else. I will invest my time somehow differently and productive, productively. And when I have a good spot again, then I can start fresh and I can start motivated. And uh, this was this summer was just all about that. Um, so yeah, but before that, I rode a lot. I would say, I always had some kind of um, other projects. I'm not a person who can really concentrate only on one thing. This is good, and this is also pretty bad because I usually um, do. I, I think that I can do lots of things at the same time, and it's never the case. But I just keep continue doing it, and I try to juggle many things simultaneously but riding was always really important to me it is it still is basically this i i wake up and, and go to sleep with bmx but my personal riding suffered a lot this year that's for sure mm. are you still you mentioned earlier that uh, you were you were working in it and i know that you were uh, you doing the online shops are you still doing both or are you just doing the shop oh no i'm still working full time yeah um, so <laughs> there's only 24 hours in a day Uh, yeah, it's yeah, and it wouldn't really be possible to ride actively uh, with the schedule I have. Um, I, I basically work from eight o'clock until like seven p.m. Mm -hmm. So I, from eight a.m. until seven p.m. And uh, I have a full-time IT job at the construction company. And uh, in the meantime, since I'm in in home office, I also deal with the shop. And uh, I do these two things basic parallel. I'm, I'm jumping from task to task continuously. Uh, this is my from Monday to Friday. And on the weekends, I, I just like to spend time with the family. And also, I always, I, I never really shut this off. And I'm also thinking about new things, new products, uploading things, uh, or just cleaning the storage or I find I always find something to do around the shop. As you said, it makes this makes really hard to just get away because there is always some kind of a some kind of a task that pops up and that have to be dealt with. Okay. You also said that you were you were living closer to the the famous uh, flatland spot, which is next to the uh, down. It's downtown. I've I've been there. Um, yeah, Hero Square. Yeah, Heroes Square, that's why I couldn't mm -hmm. remember the name. Uh, and that's where, you know, how's the scene there? I know Sebastian writes there, Irina mm -hmm. writes there. Um, before it was Michael Sommer. Is there a big scene in Vienna? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> I think that, uh, I think we had, just like everyone else in the world, we, had, we got a couple of big hits with COVID. And then uh, also the, the place, the he Heroes Square, the spot itself, uh, It got not completely, but partially 
I don't want to be dramatic, but destroyed because the city of Vienna has an initiative that they would like to be carbon neutral in just in a couple of years. So they mm -hmm. are taking apart concrete spaces and plant grass and trees there, which is, of course, it's an amazing thing. But for a flatlander, this can be really heartbreaking if you take away their spot. And uh, this is this is what happened maybe even one year ago. Uh, basically, we had that spot, the Hero Square spot, which was, uh, it would be in desperate need of a new surface because I think this that surface was not changed in the last 20, 25 years. Uh, at least that's what the older guys always telling us. But uh, they cut out um, small, basically cubes from the asphalt completely randomly where they are going to put some, some plants. This makes, um, you still have some space. And if you, for example, look at Sebastian's uh, videos on Instagram, he can still use it. But uh, in my opinion, it kind of uh, destroyed our scene uh, because for example, where I like to ride, which is, I think this is only a really, like, this is really a flatlander thing that you have your own couple of meters and that's your own and you you feel comfortable there. At least mm -hmm. it was like for me. And well, they, no, it's like that for everyone. Okay. <laughs> it's good to know because sometimes I think that, yeah, I'm weird, but it turns out all flatlanders are basically weird people, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> at least in some kind of way. Yes. Um, they basically cut out exactly that three times three meters that I where I like to ride, and it it was. I think it's a little bit silly to admit, but it was really devastating to me. Like that was the spot where I like to go, have my peace, and not to deal with anything else, just practice my tricks, and that's gone. And I could use the other surfaces next to it, but it's not how I like it. And I could also say that I feel spoiled because I used to stick to that spot and now it's gone and I'm just crying my eyes out. But uh, now for me, it makes it not really relevant to travel almost one hour by train, get there, mm. ride a bad piece of concrete, for me at least, and then go home because I can do it here next to my flat where I live now. Because did you guys try to, uh, sorry to interrupt you, did you guys no, no, try sorry. to uh, um, discuss this with the city? Like yeah. saying... Okay, yeah. So we tried that here too, and then uh, they were not really listening. Uh, no, because what they did is that they had uh, this project already running along. So this was not a planning phase or something that was just an idea. They had fixed, uh, and uh, they had basically concrete plans to do it, and this was already in the in the phase where they were they wanted to implement it. At least that's what they told me, and we tried it. Uh, Irina, definitely, I know about it that you tried it. I uh, I also tried it. I called the architect because uh, I tried it. Like I tried to find some info uh, about it. What is going to happen? Because um, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe they will resurface it. Or I tried to think positively about it. But um, no. And so basically, they did that. They cut out that li those little pieces, and now it's just there like this and, and they didn't they didn't uh, made the development um, what we were expecting and this is also a little bit strange to us that nothing mm -hmm. is happening but you but they destroyed the spot um, and I think this took the scene uh, pretty badly because um, because then there was no uh, incentive to go there because we could 
have went anywhere else. And uh, most of the guys. This was a meeting place, right? This exactly. was kind of like how, how everybody gathered. Absolutely. This gathered. was this was the place where you went, and you usually always had someone there, just hanging around or practicing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we tried. I mean, I have my my Google Maps, uh, where I think I'm around 50 spots where I just I mark them on the map, set a pin, and I just went there and tried to tried out the spot. And I do this for more than a year now. I am just constantly scouting for spots where you can ride. And uh, but the thing is, with a big city like Vienna, that either someone is in your way or you are in someone's way uh, when they just want to get around in their little things. I think it's a really good topic. You know, we we talked about you know how hard it is for people to start because there's no you know it there's the um, the financial barrier to start flatland in the cost of uh, having a proper bike uh, and the fact that they're not necessarily adapted for the younger kids. The, the guys are smaller, uh, but a very big part of, of riding is obviously the spot yes. uh, and and the fact that because we are such a small community it's hard to go and convince a city <laughs> or a village to invest into a place dedicated to that activity that sport correct yeah um uh, and then not to mention that as i know because uh, in canada we also deal with your kind of weather <laughs> it's like you get snow <laughs> yeah uh, of, yeah it's very hard. I mean, finding the right spot, and and we see more and more around the world now, people are investing into uh, their own private spot, uh, whether oh, yes. it's yeah. a garage or or you know a concrete slab in their garden if they have the chance to have a, a, a garden or mm -hmm. a garage. Yeah. Uh, but for a lot of us, it's it's just tough, and then you have to you know go to parkade in the winters and 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 share spot. You know, we always say our riders use. Uh, tennis courts or basketball courts, but mm -hmm. you know, there's people playing tennis and basketball. Exactly. Uh, or if you're yes. in a plaza, people walk by and they don't understand that you're spinning and then they should, you know, walk around you. They just go straight. You know, that happens everywhere in the world. Yes. Uh, I also, I, I, I never understood that, that they just lose the sense of uh, danger or sense of safety. I don't know which one they lose, <laughs> but they are just walking into, walking That's into true. you. And then they are surprised that they got hurt because, you know, the bike doesn't feed anything. It's your stomach that fills the bar. And it's, <laughs> it's, I, I never understood this. Um, what I see now, or I was probably really spoiled back, in, back when I was a little kid because we had lots of space and good, good uh, concrete surfaces where I grew up. And uh, I am always constantly looking for that, you know, that you just go somewhere and you are left in peace because you obviously don't do anything harmful. Uh, but I tend to I tend to get uh, more and more stress when I go out. Uh, for example, in Vienna, that uh, the police is uh, pulling me over because I don't have brakes. Then I get some kind of fine because you know, I don't have brakes and whatever on my bike. It's really irritating me lately. Then uh, I have to walk the bike, which is already I find it just simply lame. I mean, it is like having a football and walking with on the sidewalk, you know, I'm just have a bike and I have to push it, just walk the bike to the spot, which is already annoying for me. And then when I get to the spot, it is either full with kids or I don't know, some people are just drinking there. And uh, obviously they, they will not think, oh, okay, Attila is there. He will practice. Now we give him space and no, they don't, they don't care, obviously. And, um, 
yeah, I, I see more and more of this here. Um, but this is also a really big city with really with a really dense population uh, or like densely populated because uh, if you have one basketball court for I don't know five thousand people, obviously it will be full all the time. So I, mm -hmm. I can't expect to have at least a lane full for uh, free for me when I want to practice whiplashes. Nobody cares about my whiplashes, which I can understand because I don't care about their basketball. It maybe sounds a little bit harsh, but I can definitely relate to that. That uh, why, or when some people tell me that they stop flatland riding because they don't have a spot, they maybe would have money for a new bike or like a custom bike. It doesn't matter, but or maybe they would have also time, but uh, they just can't get to a spot where they can enjoy and uh, and ride. And uh, even though I think BMX is kind of an urban like urban sport, or I would say some people or they categorize it like an or urban. Uh, kind of uh, activity flatland is you really need to get into it and and it doesn't happen in 15 minutes or it doesn't happen in spot to spot i used to get i used to need at least like 15 minutes to get into the mindset of okay i'm going to practice now uh really focused i warmed up it is good and now i can practice for an hour and a half without a, uh, a break and uh when you have people constantly interrupting you or when they just come at, come, come to you, okay, hey, can you do a wheelie? Or yeah, this trick was cool. Or can I try your bike? It, it doesn't work for me personally. And uh, I can really understand people when they are just building their own little temples and their own spots and they ride there. But this kind of isolates them at the same time as well. They just mm. riding for themselves. Uh, but of course you can get together in jams, but then People don't see that you ride because if I think about it, that I also started to ride BMX because I saw another guy riding BMX and I would never start it if that guy just stayed in his garage. So yeah, I, I really don't have an answer for this, uh, for myself at least, because I tend to, or I stressed myself a lot about this. Why am I not riding? Why am I not riding? And I was constantly thinking about this uh, because I want to go. I have a really good bike. I like it. The geometry is perfect and uh at least for me and it just sits there and it annoys the hell out of me that it just sits there it's not good but yeah probably the solution for me is to move out even more outside from the city just to the outskirts where there is just a street with i don't know a couple of cars per hour and i can just ride there but in the in vienna in the city center you can get this kind of uh peace that's for sure how big is vienna how many people live there about two million um mm. and yeah and with the suburbs i think it's around three million if which is if you think about it that austria has about nine million people a little bit less and one third of them lives around vienna that's that's funny that's huge yeah that's huge yeah. so do you get distracted by you know outside interferences when you ride like people walking around you and things and and i'm, I'm leading this to uh, are you riding with headset with music uh, to try to focus yes uh, it it can annoy me i think this is also with uh with the spoiledness i just mentioned that I, I i used to ride alone so i think i need a lot of space for myself even if i'm just on a couple of meters or practicing mm -hmm. one trick or or uh, something spinning because uh, that's how i feel safe and i also don't want to bump into other people like for example mm -hmm. when i 
I had a couple of accidents with max circles. And you know, if you spin max circles really fast, then it hits if, if, if the frame or the peg meets someone, so to say. I had a couple of problems with that with some idiots. And uh, I, don't, I don't want to repeat that, basically. So I, I like to ride when there is nobody around. Uh, what I used to do is to go out really early mm -hmm. and, um, and just do that. But uh, with the shop, I can't really do that anymore either because then I uh, wouldn't be able to accept or receive, the, I mean, to receive and to send out the packages. But yeah, so definitely I need I need my space. And also when there are other riders around, I like to watch them ride. I don't really like to, to say to perform to them, but I like to learn from them, watching them ride. Or maybe if they if they are beginners, just to give them a couple of a uh, couple of tips, a little bit of advice to just uh, be present when they are doing something and not just concentrating myself. So I yeah. I think I have the feeling that I'm constantly avoiding your questions. Like you ask something and I talk about it one or two sentences and I take it completely somewhere else. That's okay. That's why it's for, that's why it's a conversation. It's good. It's it's about you. It's not about me. You know, it's just a guide and then we go wherever the conversation leads us. It's great. Random question, but did you did have you ever competed? Did you compete? Did you like it? Oh uh, sure, I, I did. Uh I ne I've never been good at it because I mean I think um, most of Letland riders have a really good um, grasp of how good they are because you are constantly watching other riders and comparing yourself. And I, I only, I can only do a couple of basic tricks, I would say, or maybe more than a couple. But I've had never had a like an original switch or something really difficult. But I enjoy what I do. I don't really care about the level per se. And uh, also, what I, uh, what I think that. Uh, what I saw in Hungary that was like an okay level is really high. And then you had the pros above it. So I have a, also a different understanding when I say, okay, this guy is really good, then it's probably like a pro. And uh, yeah, so may maybe that clouds my judgment. But uh, yeah, took part in a couple of contests, more than 10. I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly. It was always... Okay, we enter the contest because if we are here, then we should ride with the others, mm -hmm. and then you give a give a little bit of entry fee for the organizers, so they at least break even, you know. And it's not about the contest run, but it's about just to it's be about there the scene. and yeah, exactly, and to share this experience uh, with each other. That okay, because I always come competed i wouldn't even say competed but it was always against my friends it's not for me it was not about really winning something or winning money or sponsorship it was uh, always the lowest level basically and i just did what i thought of in that moment i never really had a planned out uh contest uh run or anything but um but it was definitely a good experience i uh the I had a contest. I mean, not I had a contest. I, I took part in a contest in in Japan at the flat. Oh, good for you! In, in oh, Samukawa. really? Um, of course, as an amateur, I think there were like thirty-four riders, and I got like thirtieth or something. Uh, so almost <laughs> last, but but it's Japan again. Uh, the even the amateur riders were, yeah, insanely good. But it was really really nice, and uh, the whole, yeah, I, I'm I'm happy I did it. 
and it, it was of course not because I wanted to place higher because uh, I think uh, the guys who were on the podium and girls because I think it was a mixed class they were like the, their combined age were my my age you know like three <laughs> kids and they were all already better than me when I was I think I was 30 or 31 when I went there and uh, yeah it was funny okay okay let's talk a little bit about the four pegs about the shop what made you yeah. start honestly this is a good question i try to i try to tell you how it all came together because it was not an idea out of the box that i thought okay i'm gonna do this because for whatever reason but it was really a gradual process mm -hmm. so basically when i moved to vienna I needed a couple of years to get my stuff together, you know, to get better in the language, uh, mm -hmm. get better at my uh, IT job, just to get friends or or to get the feel of how the country works or just to, you know, I, I don't know. Then you move to a different country, you even have to learn how to get groceries because the system is different, um, at least, uh, and the minor um, details. Yeah, I went through that too. And uh, I think this is a great thing because it makes you, uh, in my opinion, more humble. You don't get arrogant with these things because you are suddenly somewhere and you can think that, okay, yeah, I don't know, I have 10 university degrees, which I don't have, but you still have to go and, I don't know, ask for a piece of cucumber and you have no idea how to do it. It's a really interesting feeling. So, yeah, when I got over that uh, and I just wanted to get a couple of parts for my bike. and. I thought because in Hungary there were at the time four or five BMX shops, which is also a little bit strange because, yeah, lots of riders, lots of BMX shops uh, for a small country. And when I moved to Vienna, I, I wanted to buy just tires and grip something, and there was nothing here, no BMX shops. Like you can, in Vienna, you have plenty of bike shops for road cycling and mountain bikes and insanely, like they, do everything here except BMX. I couldn't get my my head around that fact that how come that uh, you know from my point of view a country that is that rich as Austria, how come that nobody is bothering to deal with BMX? I, I didn't I couldn't didn't understand. And um, yeah, and this was of course uh, like a narrow-minded perspective because I thought only about money, but there was. There was not many riders just in general. There was obviously no reason to have a BMX shop. And when I found out that there is actually one shop in Vienna uh, where I could get some stuff, I wrote them an email and the guy told me that we just closed down two weeks ago forever. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I thought, okay, this is this is impossible. How can this be that in Hungary we had some kind of yeah, we were spoiled, or I was spoiled. And uh um Okay, then I was thinking about, okay, maybe I could order from Germany. And then I think I sorted out with that, but I was not, not happy about it because I, I just wanted to solve this locally for some reason. And um, I didn't want to order from somewhere else. I wanted to go to the place and, uh, you know, just be able to look at new things because I was just generally excited about uh, BMX parts. Just, you know, what can what came out this year? What are the colors now? How is the, the technology going in BMX? And uh, you don't have it here. I mean, basically, you still don't have it here in Vienna. 
so I, what I started to do is I was just starting to look around for used parts. And then I suddenly had this realization that, you know, I'm, I have my money in euros now because in Hungary you don't have the euro as currency, but here you have it. And it, it's worth, you know, almost the same in France than in Germany and in Austria. It's the same currency. So you don't have to deal with currency exchange. Mm -hmm. uh, so it opens up a completely different markets for you because you see if something is 150 euros in France, then it's, you know that how much that money is. It sounds maybe a little bit uh, stupid now that I explained that, but it was for me, it was a realization definitely that, okay, maybe I can just expand my horizons and buy from other countries as well. So it was a switch in my thinking that I was thinking, okay, I want this locally. And then I thought, okay, I can do it from somewhere else as well, it's no problem. Um, so I saw that it was like, it was in 2016 when in my opinion, Flatland was not really doing so well globally. It was my, it is my opinion or it was my opinion. I, maybe I was just living in a bubble, but um, so I, what I started to do is I started to buy used parts from people who, I don't know, bought it in Italy, used it a couple of times. They, He doesn't need it anymore. I just bought it. I tried it myself. It was okay. And then I got a couple of <clears throat> messages from my buddies from Hungary that, hey, you, I see you have that. Do you have another one? Or do you want to sell your seat? Or do you want to sell your fork? Because in Hungary, we don't have anything to, to get. And uh, I, was, I was thinking, yeah, you know what? You can have it. Yeah, it is that I don't know how much money. Yeah. And I can sell it to you. And the people just kept coming. You know, just they, they just came to me. Hey, I need two tires. Can you get that? And, yeah, I can probably get that. Give me a couple of weeks, and I got them the two tires. And then, and this just kept on going. And it was all used parts. And uh, then at the point, my mom told me that I should just be careful because if I have too much money on my Hungarian bank account, then maybe the tax authorities will. Just look after it because I didn't live in Hungary anymore, but it was not too much money now that I think about it. But she just wanted to me, she just wanted me to get cautious with it, you know, to do it in a, in the best way possible. And I was thinking about it that maybe I could, you know, do a maybe like a legit shop. Why not? Because I could get stuff in Western Europe and sell it to to Hungary or maybe even Vienna, because of course in Vienna there are still a couple of riders who who don't really have a local source. Yeah, and that, that was basically the whole initiation of the idea that I was <clears throat> just dealing with used stuff, um, like completely basic things, not, not grips, but like really flatland specific things, bars, stems, short cranks, uh, maybe free coasters and stuff like that. And uh, this is how it started. And then it just grew and grew. and uh, I gave it the consideration that, uh, <clears throat> yeah, maybe I could do it. Um, I can just uh, go here to the, I don't know, to the authorities and tell them, hey, look, I want to create um, like a shop. What can I do it? How can I get the license for it? Because uh, I went to the university and I studied economics. So I had the basic qualifications for it to get uh, the license from the city. To operate any kind of shop and um, yeah uh, basically that was it this is how it, it started with used parts and I was just uh, 
I was at the right place at the right time for for helping friends, I would say. Mm, there was a need in the market at the time. Uh, definitely. I mean, in Hungary, there was definitely. And they wrote different parts, you know, because like, as you said, the Hungarian scene is pretty, is, is so much for itself. People are <clears throat> dealing with parts or like exchanging parts um, just within the community. They have similar riding styles. So basically they, it's it's probably also because of different generations but you know the people who ride together tend to learn the same tricks and mm -hmm. the variations of the same tricks and so basically they the parts they were looking for were not really in use for example in austria because in austria there was more of a rolling style of riding with nose wheelies whiplashes hang fives and in in hungary they were more doing like steamroller switches time machine pinky squeaks and, uh, you, you know, so a more spinning kind of style of riding, except, of course, the guys who didn't do that, but like the mainstream. And uh, they needed different parts. And uh, I just looked for the best deal until I couldn't, could find the part that the Hungarian guy was looking for. Or maybe a little bit later, there were a couple of Austrians who started to just hit me up. Yeah. And, and I always just found something on sale. I was looking for at my job when I had some free time, I was just Googling all the time when it's like the Odyssey tires, the frequency. There was a time when Odyssey discontinued them. I don't know, you know which tire that is, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, there was a time when Odyssey discontinued them and we had we we wrote we all of all of those guys in Hungary who rode on concrete or asphalt, they rode that tire, me myself included. And everyone was just in panic. Like, what is going to happen if the tire runs out? So I started to buy all of them because the shops were uh, selling them on discounts because they thought, okay, this is an old old school kind of tire. We don't need it anymore. Everyone is going to ride like 2.4 tires. So I bought, I don't know, like 50 tires, which is, yeah, it was ridiculous. And uh, when I bought them and I just sold that to my, to my friends. One other thing, I had the idea with a guy also from Hungary to start to produce plastic bags. And that was also really helping. So basically, that guy was doing the, the the drawings, and he had some other dude who created the pegs, and I sold the pegs. And then later, I put my ideas into it, and I built a team around it. And that was the original four pegs. That's why it's about pegs, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so then the people knew that, okay, they can come to me for used parts, or maybe some parts on sale. Then I going to bring them to Hungary, and then also there were the pegs. So there were just more and more incentive to to come to me when you needed something. Um, yeah, I think that that yeah that was also a really important part of the whole build up. But this was about two years or something. So what I described to you is about during two years of a time frame, and it was really organic. So that mm, was, so the first. At first, you're, you were buying off shops that were discounting or directly from the producer that were discounting or secondhand parts from people. And your primary market was Hungary, if I understand um, correctly. Yeah, well, correct. Uh, this was like, you know, that was not, nothing was planned of this. This is um, only like, this is always like a spontaneous, spontaneous thing uh, because 
um, I just bought as a, I would say a private person, something that, that was on sale or, or a used part. I would only do that if the other guy who asked me asked for that specific product. So it was, you know, like always chatting with friends. Okay, hey, look, I would need this and this. Can you maybe look that up for me? And I did. I just looked it up. It was, I think, in a way, it was uh, just a hobby for me, or or maybe just something something to spend my time with. I never thought to to earn any money on it. And uh, but I had I had also my costs. So I started, I had to get smart about it because mm -hmm. then I had the shipping cost to Hungary. I had the shipping cost from the, from the other shop to me. And then, uh, I don't know, even, you know, boxes and, and cardboard and whatever, uh, duct, no, not duct tape, but tape that all costs money. And, uh, also of course then time. And I just always, I just gradually grew with that when I thought that, okay, I'm not going to deal with use parts anymore because maybe I can you know I can't guarantee the quality of it that was also really important because sometimes I just bought something used and I gave it to the other guy and then he said look this is broken and I didn't see it and then of course then uh, we had to somehow work that out and uh, I didn't want to mm -hmm. get into any problems because this was not this was still just a friendly, friendly venture, uh, and they didn't want to screw over my friends, obviously. Of course. And, um, this is how it all started. But uh, we are talking about only a couple of things because I was not that efficient. So, a couple of tires, like four or like five tires in four months or something. So it was, it was not, <clears throat> not on a big scale. But uh, I see that there is a potential there, or not, not even frames. It's always something that you know that you can fit into an envelope basically and just mail it to somewhere because uh, then the shipping costs are lower. It was all like a garage operation, but not even that. It was although an interesting time because you learn a lot about all these things and uh, you find websites where everything is in French and I don't speak French and you try to understand what this what is written there because there is no automatic uh, translation or anything. And I try to, I just, I, I sat down with a dictionary and I try to understand like, what is the shipping cost and, and stuff like that. Or That's dedication. I, it was, it was interesting to me. It was just really interesting to me. And uh, I found it and I was, I wanted to help. I always had this intention that uh, if I can help, then I, why wouldn't I help? Because this is also good to me. Maybe I was just too much of a people pleaser also that I just really wanted to be there for these guys. Was it so, hard to ship out of uh, out of EU? Like Hungary is uh, like, uh, uh, like no, Hungary is in EU, but uh, like uh, what, what about customs and, uh, you know, anything like um, that? Was it challenging or no? I mean, at that time, everything was in the EU, what I sold, because, uh, you know, I was just looking on eBay or, or mm -hmm. anything similar then I found like a German guy who was selling a couple of stuff and I told him look I would buy this and this can you send it to me and it was it was not that difficult at all and also to send something to Hungary it was also not difficult at all what I used to do is to I just bundled everything together bought mm -hmm. a big bag and I went when I went home to my parents to visit them and I just brought home 
a lot of BMX parts. And then my parents got me some boxes, you know, from supermarkets and stuff like that. And then <clears throat> after dinner, I started to just package the things, chocolate boxes that, I mean, boxes that used to have chocolate in it. And I just put some BMX parts in it. And then next day I went to the post office and I remember that the lady at the post office already knew me and uh, she was always stressing because this guy is here again and he is bringing me five boxes of stuff that rattles in the box. <laughs> and and he, he, she was so annoyed with me every time. And uh, I was, of course, always looking for the cheapest possible way to send. Yeah, it was uh, like a wild west for me in this shipping and handling and, and selling area. But um, not at all on the scale that I have now. So it was just for lunch money, basically. Or sometimes even for free. It was definitely really interesting now that I... I, I don't really think about this, that now that you asked me, I'm, I'm trying to remember and it's really, it's, it's a strange feeling now. So how did it become more serious then? I think I was curious, how could I do this better? And also if you get messages from people that you have nothing to do with, that I heard that you are a guy who can get me a used set of cranks. And then if you, if you get that relatively often, then you will see that, okay, there is some potential here. It's, it's, mm -hmm. This cannot be a coincidence. And, uh, you know, you also see it yourself if you go to, I mean, at, at that time, if you went to any, any BMX shops, I mean, I wouldn't say any, but there was, I'm sure, a couple that were strong in Flatland. But uh, the ones I would uh, think that uh, were easy to approach for people, and I would speak about, like, Western Europe, because... It's, it's different. For example, I think if you are an Austrian, you have with the whole German market, with all the countries that speak German, you have much bigger uh, market, even for your native language or with France. But if you are in a, like in, in <clears throat> the Czech Republic or Slovakia or Hungary, you have only a couple of million people that want to, who your whole market for your native language and your own currency is significantly smaller. And uh, your options are also limited. I would say I just got outside, you, you know, into the Eurozone. And I, my options were just way more. Or I had many more options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe also I got off track here. But uh, if you get messages from people who you, who you never met before, I just had this feeling that, okay, maybe I could do this better. And also what I mentioned that my mom has uh, started to nagging me that, hey, you should do something about this because don't want you to get into trouble, which is, it's, you know, I felt like a criminal, like it's about drugs or something. This is ridiculous, by the way. And uh, I just wanted to do right by all this. And then... Uh, You're smuggling parts across the border to Hungarian shipping from a post office. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And obviously, these were like used stuff. It's just funny now that I think about it. Definitely, that was that was the start. I, I'm feeling, I feel like I don't answer your question, to be honest. No, no, no. Um, I was like, so, I mean, you went from, you know, finding parts for friends uh, to yeah. making pegs to to suddenly having people asking you for new stuff. And, oh, can you get me cranks? Can you get me this? Can you get me that? So yeah. you had to get a bit more serious and a, a bit more organized and maybe uh, sign a few uh, papers and, and make it a bit more official. 
Yes, definitely. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for summarizing. This is, yeah, exactly what happened. I just wanted, you know, if you are um, like privately, if you are a customer, you can't get uh, to the distributors because distributors only deal with shops. Mm -hmm. That's the whole, that's the main purpose, of course. It really started to bother me that, uh, okay, I know that this guy is a distributor. I mean, this company is the distributor of some brand that I know that I could sell. And I see that some shops have it, but they for some reason can't sell it, which was also strange to me because I just used Google. If I use Google, how come that other people don't do it? And, and basically that's what became the service, you know, like the product, you can get the product anywhere, but you need someone who finds it for you and who tells you if it will work with your bike or not, if it will work with your riding style or not. And this is what also became my product, basically this whole consultancy thing uh, that I tried to consult riders and this built a lot. And I think this is still what drives or that's why people come to me uh, because I try to help them. And this this helped me because a couple of guys, I mean, they, I get um, really good customer feedback from lots of people and that's what makes me going. And that was also in the beginning that uh, they told me that it's good to buy from me because you can spend the money anywhere, but you know that with this, you help somebody or something more than yourself mm -hmm. this can be just really small as well of course because we are not talking about i don't know thousands or tens of thousands of euros but uh, i also started to support gems even before or or contests even before i had uh, i had a whole company created just because i had stuff there and i wanted to give back and uh, more and more people started to see it and then they just wanted to help me as well. Or well, this is like proxy helping some something or some cause. Mm -hmm. And that was also helping me a lot then and also mentally. And then um, I wanted to really reach those distributors basically because I knew that, okay, if these, if these people who want to help me and want to uh, spend their money with me and I can get them much better stuff that is new, that has warranty, which is extremely important, uh, that has uh, product support. And I just wanted to get it to them. And you can only do that if you have a, a company that is basically like a legal entity. Yeah, so I, I created that and then the whole website around it. And it helped a lot. Like this, that was that was a huge step, basically. I want to go, come back to something you said a little bit earlier, which I think is really, really important. And it's often too often neglected by a lot of shops, a lot of people is is the service part, you know, helping the customer. And, and you use the word consultancy, which is, you know, a, a good word, maybe a strong word, but it's it's really uh, helping people in the decision and, and providing after sales support. Accompany them really uh, into the purchase because mm -hmm. I find that's really lacking in a lot of places, and uh, I'm sure it's it's challenging for you because you're an online shop, uh, and typically this kind of service uh, comes with a yeah. brick, typical brick and mortar. Yes, um, I mentioned that I work for an IT 
I mean, a mm -hmm. construction company in IT, but I'm I'm an IT consultant. So I'm not a programmer, for example, but I help people understand how software work, how softwares work. It is it is customer service and also teaching people how to deal with the softwares and uh, also a little bit of sales. And I basically the whole thing that I learned at the company uh, there in my normal job. I implemented that into the whole BMX aspect of things. Also, I'm this kind of a person that I I think I'm I can empathize, and I try to basically just use use my experiences to understand what the customer can need and could could require. And then I think I like to tell my opinion or I like to talk like. You experience it now firsthand. I'm just, you can shoot me down. I'm just talking about this. And I like to share my opinion if it's asked. And in this case, when someone reach, reaches out to me and asks me, hey, I want to get this fork, but it has 50 millimeter offset. Would this mess up my tricks? And that is exactly my trigger. Then I can tell them, oh, look, we can look into this, but maybe, I don't know, if you don't have that money, then maybe you shouldn't invest into that. Or if you have some, play money i would say that yeah try it out why not or maybe try to get one used for try the experience and so on and then you know this with every kind of parts that you can imagine and uh, i think this is basically the most important thing right now that i can make this is how i can make my shop work because the products you can buy anywhere uh, or maybe i mean not, i don't mean special products but mainstream things you could buy anywhere and uh, you know, for example, I want to get go back to the post I made and which you brought up as well that like mm -hmm. shopping at uh, BMX shops. Currently, what is happening? There's a lot of BMX shops have huge amounts of stock that they bought or ordered because of the pandemic. Because during the pandemic, that was a huge shortage of mm -hmm. things, and now they just overstocked on everything that is possible. But we are talking about mainstream parts. Uh, mainstream brands and not 3D Flatland. So right now they are selling out their stock on huge discounts, which uh, means that they are, for example, undercutting my prices because I don't have that big of a stock. And I also don't need that much liquidity because I don't have any employees. I don't have people I have to feed or something. And yeah, that sounds strange, but I don't, yeah, I don't have any employees. And uh, I don't have that big of, big of a cost. So they try to survive while they are undercutting me. And I'm trying to sell something still to people who maybe think that, okay, I'm going to pay 20% more to Attila, but then I know that I'm going to be 100% confident with the stuff I've just bought and not, uh, not having to go through the ordeal to order it then maybe have to return it then you have to wait for your money again to get back if you get it back or if they even accept your claim to return it and then buy something again and this is i think this is the sole thing that makes my shop or four pegs going or as it is right now i understand when not not all people need this from me because I think some people think I'm just too much with this, for example. Or they want to do their own research. They want to make their own decisions. 
And I can, of course, understand that some people just can't afford it, which I can also understand because I maybe I also wouldn't be able to afford it. But there is a niche within a niche who likes this. And uh, I try to do my best for them. Basically, that's the philosophy as well. Mm -hmm. Are you still selling used part as well or just brand new? Uh, no, not not anymore. I I mean, I sell my own things. You know, when for example, if we we just moved uh, to this flat, and uh, I didn't want to bring all my used stuff to the new flat because it didn't make any sense to me. So I sold those, but it was not commercial at all. It was not for the shop. It was just for my own collection, I would say. But uh, on the website and officially, uh, I only sell brand new parts. And uh, I try to actively en uh, encourage people to sell their stuff on the used market. So there are a couple of people, I think, who are just hoarding parts. You know, they have a lot of parts and they don't put it out to sell. And uh, I, like, I like it when I, uh, when I see a part that is from me and it's out there and someone tries to sell it because whatever reason, because maybe they want to have a new one and they maybe will come back to me, you know, and they just want to sell it mm -hmm. to get a little bit more money to it. And this, the whole life cycle um, is really dependent on this secondhand uh, part of, uh, of the market. But I personally don't sell any used stuff more be anymore because uh, you just can't uh, give any warranty on it. Mm. You know, that's, that's uh, like legally, you can't really stand behind use products. Right, right, right. Do you have brands, uh, preferred brand or like brands you have a preferred relationship with these days? Or is it a um, little bit of everything? It's a little bit of everything. Um, basically, hmm, this is, uh, I'm trying to collect my thoughts on this. Also, I just remember I said the word basically so many times it could be a drinking game. I guess at this point, it's so funny. I just really just just came into my it's, mind. Look, it's okay. You you're from Hungary. I'm from Belgium, and we both speak in English, so it's okay. We, yes. don't, we don't have to be perfect. This is. Um, I found it interesting, though. This is completely something else that you have the. You know, I'm sure you know Gilles van de Sompel. Of course, yeah. And you have the same accent what he has, but you are from the the Flemish region, right? Is and I'm from the French side, yeah. And but and he speaks like this. Uh, sorry, like French and Dutch. Uh, I, I don't want to like simplify, but but still, for English, you have the same accent. I found it so funny, <laughs> you know. <but> yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Gilles. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. What was the question? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, do you have do you have preferred brand? Is a little bit of a oh yes, yeah. What I try to do is, for example, since. Uh, there is no other source of BMX parts in Austria, in a, in, a, in a full country. And in Vienna, I try to have a little bit of uh, mainstream things for street riders and park riders also here. So mm -hmm. that, that's, just good. that's just good to have. Uh, I used to think bigger because I, had, uh, I, wanted to be, I wanted to create a much bigger shop. And uh, I used to have a really big inventory, but that didn't work out at all so i reduced it so now i have like some kind of a bestseller of a couple of street brands i usually i just go by my own personal experience i don't sell anything that i wouldn't try it myself so it it is um, and and there i'm really really picky so i maybe i get a couple of parts from a brand 
but the rest I won't. I don't buy complete lines of product. I, I always check what I would write, what I like, what makes sense to me, because it, it doesn't make sense to me to buy 10 different 15 millimeter stems, you know, in all black, all top, top load. It makes no, no, makes no sense. The, only the logo is different. So that's the street part of it and, uh, and the park and the trails. And I also like to, I just like to stand by the local communities here um, with that, with those parts. And for Flatland, I try to have everything I can and everything where, where there is basically a healthy price to sell for, because there are parts that, for example, the, the whole Iggy from Dub, Mm -hmm. It is it is extremely expensive to import just because that's such a niche, such a high quality thing, quite high quality thing that uh, it's just hard to get over the border and also, you know, sell it, pay taxes for it, pay the customs and make a little bit of money and pay the website provider and the payment provider and whatever. But and I still want to stock it because it's just awesome and it and it works and it's really well thought out. Yeah, so I really try to stock everything I can in Flatland that makes sense from also from a business perspective and also from the perspective of the customer. Because if I have to sell a stamp for 200 euros, that that is insane. Yeah, it makes no insane. sense. I agree. I agree. Who's on the team? Because you, uh, you're helping out a bunch of people. I know we mentioned Jill. There's other people. Oh, I, the, the team is is huge. Um, I'm really proud of them, honestly. And um, basically, my philosophy was with the team that uh, I didn't want to have a classic team where I, I, first of all, I couldn't afford to pay anybody to mm -hmm. just say that Forpex is the best because I gave them money. But I like, I wanted to create relationships where we are friends with uh, with the team rider. Of course, it doesn't always work that way. And I don't say that I'm friends with all of them, but uh, we have a good relationship with all of, I have a good relationship with all of them. And most of them are also my friends. And uh, that was definitely my goal because I would like to have a team rider who understands why I stand for, what does it take to run this shop? Because uh, this is like so much work that I can't have a rider who would just see the of the profit in it or just uh, the next free part in it or a free frame so that was that's a really 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 important thing to me and that, because i'm personally involved there are sometimes uh, also bad times with it obviously but it's overall really positive um yeah so the team i don't know if i should name anyone because if i leave out anyone then that's the problem but, okay, um, that's okay. But, you um, have a big team. Let's put it this way. That's cool. And these people are all, yeah, helping me in the best way I can imagine. And they give a lot of feedback. That's why I really like, I, I don't really like just yes, man, that they tell me what I want to hear, mm -hmm. but they give me constructive opinion. Of course, I also don't want to hear just only like bad things from a person. I want to hear how could it be better? And uh, it really works. I, I uh, support uh, street and park riders in within Austria and uh, Slovenia and Croatia, because also these countries, like uh, these Balkan countries, they also don't have a BMX shop. Mm -hmm. 
or yeah, really limited availability. Uh, so I try to help those people. And I also have the whole flatland area where I try to my uh, try to support as many people as I can, or I have the opportunity to do so. Um, my idea was first to almost have a in every European country to have a rider. And of course it is impossible. And sometimes it is also not, not needed at all. But uh, that was definitely my idea. And, uh, and all these connections came, I mean, sorry, not all, but the good connections, the one that stayed came organically with, for example, with Jill, with uh, Sietze van Berkel in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. or with uh, Sebastian Grubinger in Vienna, or with Irina Sadovnik, or for example, with Anatol right now, who was in on the last podcast. Yeah, I think he was on the last podcast. He was, yeah. It also came organically. Um, and uh, my first team riders were my Hungarian friends that uh, some of them don't ride anymore. Uh, there are a couple of them who still ride. They are also all really high level riders. Uh, there were a couple of riders who I thought they ride in my team, but it turned out they did. They don't because they, they didn't take it that seriously. That was also, I think it was also silly from me. I was really naive going into this whole thing. But yeah, I tried to... You leave and you learn. Different. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm already speaking too much again about this one topic, but uh, no, no. it's really complex. No. It's always extremely complex, uh, just like life itself. And uh, I don't like, even though it, of course, comes down to the money, you know, that the business has to be able to function. This is not the mm -hmm. charity. I also have to pay a lot of things and everything is getting just more expensive, obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, the human aspect is definitely is outweighing the, the financial aspect of it. What I really like about it that you see people growing up uh, especially the young ones, because the young people, for example, that I started to support uh, in Vienna are now almost like full-grown full adults, basically, and their mindset is changing and they have different challenges in life and their attitude toward, towards my, my sponsorship changes. And uh, they, they are getting always more grateful. I have this feeling how they mature which also motivates me a lot and uh, helps me helps me a lot. It's just a good feeling when I when I think I, I started to support a couple of uh, like eighteen and seventy year olds, and um, I remember they thought that this is going to be huge, like um, salary and free bike and travel budget and whatever. And of course, it never came to be because I myself don't even earn money from this shop. I live from my normal job, from my day job. Mm -hmm. And uh, now that they are starting to work themselves, they just write me out of the blue that they are grateful that they still have this kind of opportunity that they get parts cheaper or when they need a tube or whatever, I have it. And uh, this is what keeps me going as well. I was thinking about also uh, about the classic way that I go to a rider and we write a contract and I pay them some amount of money, but I don't think that for me, for my personal brand, I don't think that would be authentic. I just didn't do it. And some people don't agree with it. It's completely fine. And some like it better. And that makes me happy. 
You have to go with your own philosophy. You're right. This is your business. It's your baby. Yeah, and I think you have to stand for something. Mm -hmm. Just that's it. And and you have to carry that momentum through. And you and if you don't have a conflict with anyone, and that that's already a, a big problem because that is that's not not possible that you stand for something and you don't come across with brands or people or whatever who doesn't who have a who have a different opinion and that different opinion can actually help you to maybe rethink what you were thinking or to make it make your make you even more sure in what you were thinking about that's what i like to do uh, i don't try to get up uh, caught up in in drama or something i sometimes it finds me with net sponsorship deals i don't like to use this word because I don't think that I give out deals. It is more di like discounts. But uh, I used to have this problem that people told me that, yeah, this guy doesn't deserve it. And that guy would deserve it more. Yeah, based on what simply said. Like, like you said, it's not only the writing, it's also the philosophy you have. People need to align exactly. with what you believe in. Exactly. And how you, how you behave within your community. Because, uh, for example, what I see that I was never a professional BMX rider. I was never a really good BMX rider, but I like to be within that community and help that community. So my experience is different from other uh, maybe shop owners who were, who used to be maybe even were champion BMX riders. And then they capitalized on that fame, I would say, within the BMX community and created a shop. But I never had this fame or uh or trophies mm -hmm. i was just a normal dude who had a hob who has a hobby which he likes a lot and out of this experience i i think that's almost the case the entire time i with almost with all team riders that they are not necessarily the top one top uh top athletes but they have a personality they are really respected within their community. They can articulate what they are saying. They stand for something. Uh, they have a personality and also really, really good tricks. And then if you stick by those people, the relationship will pay off and they will surprise you when. Mm. Yeah. And I have this all the time with people who come back from injuries um, and then you just see that, okay, maybe this guy is 40 and he is just killing it. But maybe five years before, he didn't even ride because he had an injury. Or with little kids who mature into their own style and it just pays off. But they don't have to be the really best of the best if they have their own place within the community. Very well in my said. opinion. Quality of riding and, and maybe podium finishes is only one aspect. There's like the, the community aspect, I like that you say that because it's very true, especially since we're such a small community around the world and, and uh, you know, spread out in many places, which leads me to my next uh, question I want to ask. There are a few shops, a few flatland specific shops around the world, and then there, um, I know there are a few around Europe. Do you find it challenging? Is it competitive? You know, do people shop around, you know, riders like go and like come to four pegs and then go to some other shop and or tell you, oh, I can get that from there for a cheaper price or something like that. Or or is it, you know, you have a pretty dedicated set of customers. I have a 
dedicated set of customers. That's definitely, I have a, I would say a big uh, um, base and a loyal base of customers. That's hundred percent. Without them, I wouldn't be anywhere. That's fact. So um, definitely, I would say the more like 60, 70% of my customers are like low, are, are loyal customers. Uh, and, uh, the, and that's, uh, that helps me a lot because I get to know them. I can give them much better advice and we just turn out to be friends. That's how also with this and now and then, sorry. And then some of them will become my team riders because of this relationship. They used to be customers and they were really good. They got even more, even better. We get friends, we get, we, we become friends. And um, then maybe I just ask them, uh, hey, do you want to ride for four packs? But yeah. And, um, and also what you mentioned, I get, uh, yeah, I get sometimes this kind of uh, inquiries that they look, that thing is, much cheaper there and in your shop it costs a little bit more then i usually tell them to i can look into it if i can match the price but it will probably not happen i don't know for whatever reason but uh it is usually not really possible to give discounts from flatland parts because already the the whole cost just yeah, the, the cost margins of getting are pretty it, slim I, mm -hmm. yeah pretty much but i i try to also encourage other people to you know just to think for themselves uh, maybe be, uh, sometimes what I come across that uh, people who buy from me uh, a couple of times and then for some reason they get a little bit more adventures and try from other shops and then maybe they come back to me uh, because they had a strange experience or uh, they didn't get any service and uh, that's also interesting that you I don't believe that I have to be kind of aggressive with uh, like customer binding. Um, I like when a customer is uh, coming back to me, like I really like loyalty because I'm also a really loyal person myself. But if someone likes to be a floater in this kind of way or get some stuff from here and get some stuff from there, that's also completely fine because I think lots of customers want to, want to help others as well. They maybe want to help me but they want to help the other shop because they have flatland parts. And then, then the next time they want to have another, help another shop because they also want, they also stock a couple of flatland parts. So everyone is happy. That would be of course the goal. So the experiences in this regard, I think are really, really mixed. Mm. Um, do you do a lot of uh, marketing, you know, trying to promote the shop? Like I know there's a, you, you have a deal with the, even agreement with uh, eframe at flat matters there's a banner on his uh, on the website to do a lot of that is is that to help flat matters or is that you know to help you or both and or and does it work i tried i tried advertising yes uh but it never really worked out for me because i'm in a niche and it doesn't really doesn't really bring anything to me when I try to compete with the big ones, because uh, you know, with the whole Google campaigns and Facebook campaigns and mm -hmm. uh, Instagram campaigns, it didn't bring anything to me because my shop is just a drop in the ocean uh, in this regard. Uh, so what I do is uh, I really have a big emphasis on Instagram that I really push. I try to be represented there really well. And uh, also I have, uh, or I had, there is a German uh, 
website called Freedom BMX. They have a little, um, not interview, but like an introduction about the shop, which is also, this good. It increases uh, legitimacy, uh, definitely. And uh, I have a good relationship with uh, the magazine in general. But I don't really believe that a solution like having banners all over the place, like on Dig BMX or our BMX or something like that, would benefit me with actual sales. Because the people who want to get stuff from me will find me, basically. That, of course, not everyone knows me. That would be really arrogant to think. But uh, you know, if you want Flatland stuff and you get into it, you get into Flatland, then my shop will come up somehow. And you will, because I'm really well represented within the Flatland community. If you just look for any BMX bike, I don't think that my shop will really come up because that is not what I put really much emphasis on. For example, with Flatland, either because of some riders or just some for some kind of uh, post that I did, it will eventually come up that four pegs is out there. And uh, about the um, Flat Matters banner, Eframe is helping me a lot with that. I think that was the first banner ever that was out for four pegs. I'm also really grateful for that because the most legitimate blog I think for Flatland is Flat Matters mm. right now, at least what I know. Shout um, out to Eframe for all the work he does day oh, in definitely. and day out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but I have a marketing budget, but I give that for uh, jams and contests and for uh, riders if they need something. If I can give some discount, but I see that, okay, in this discount, I will lose money, then I try to compensate out of that. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, if I say marketing, then you know, like stickers and anything that is branded, that uh, costs a lot of money, like to do t-shirts, hoodies, socks, whatever, uh, because you never really, you can never sell those for profit. So like really, you never really turn profit on that, or at least I can do it. But uh, it is a good thing to give to riders, you know, like small gifts, have a t-shirt or maybe have a pair of socks and they're happy about it. I'm happy about it. And also my logo is out there and it's good. So that's definitely marketing expense, yeah. Cool. Earlier to, uh, during our conversation, you spoke about the state of Flatland in 2016, if I remember correctly, that it wasn't good. Where do you see that today? It's uh, the end of 2022. Is it getting better? Is it stagnant? Is it regressing? I would say that uh, I don't necessarily think that my opinion is representative in this case, because as I said, I never was a pro rider. I never hang out with these. I mean, I hang out with a lot of pros as friends, but I could never comprehend their level truly. So uh, I think that's really subjective, but that, that is my opinion. I mean, for me, the golden era of it was around two, from 2005 to 2012, something like this. But that is also coincidence, the era where I wrote the most. So mm -hmm. that's, that's maybe not like this at all. I remember when I started, like Marty Kuopa, Vicky Gomez, Terry Adams, they were all already pros. And I don't even know much about the real OGs, basically. I, of course, I know about OG Martin because I grew up with his influence. 
but uh, all these like the Cheddar Groot, Kevin Jones, and all these dudes, to me that was already a little bit old school. Therefore, maybe that was even more productive. I, or, I guess uh, the, the question, sorry, the question I guess is more about you know is the sport growing? Do you see more people getting into it? Uh, do you have is your customer base you know increasing? Mm -hmm. Uh, do you see more jams or do you think that it's it's not regardless of the level of people i mean the level is always great um yeah for for each era but it's more it, the, the question was really about do you see do you see the sport progressing or are we in the downside in that mm -hmm. sense think about the the level itself i don't think it's regressing it's different i see i for example what kyo is doing he, he and and all the like the the new wave of Japanese riders and they, they move differently on the bike. I cannot really describe it, but the whole thing is just different to me. I don't necessarily want to compare it with, for example, like Adam Kuhn front brake riding or Ricky Gomez front brake riding or something. And when they took the brakes off and then they also rode differently and on an extremely high level. But I think the general level of tricks is getting higher. Maybe it's also with social media, like desensitizing people in this area, but basic tricks getting more basic and combinations that weren't that basic getting to be the new basic. That's my opinion. And about the future of the sport, I think the only possible way to grow the sport effectively is if we start or rider start schools, riding schools, because there you can concentrated people basically this is nothing new because you know there are lots of lots of schools or uh, clubs everywhere in every kind of sport basically but bmx was always something that was coming out from the underground and like it never needed this classic school system for flatland i guess it was just organic all the time but at this day and age we will need literal schools where you can get young people into it or, or uh, sorry, not just young, anyone basically get into it. And they have uh, like going to a yoga class, you know, I would go to the BMX class and have fun there. And maybe they are getting out a couple of really hardcore riders each year, or maybe they won't. But this is, I think, the way that the whole thing should progress because th to reach people organically doesn't really happen anymore unfortunately or maybe just for a couple of seconds as a spectacle but people mm. will not get into it like maybe i did do you think that the uh the involvement of the uci and and potentially the uh the olympic games for flatland the rest of um bmx is already in the olympics but that, is that a good thing for flatland i'm not sure if i have the sufficient knowledge to answer this in regards with uci uh because i barely know anything about it I think what would be cool, though, is there would be on the female side of the judging, there would be a couple of girls there, you know, to judge the tricks, what other girls do, not mm -hmm. always the du dudes judging. Um, but this is a minor thing. I guess the in question way, is about is about popularity again. But, you know, do you um, think it yeah, helps? In a way, it of helps? course, in a way, of course, it would it would help tremendously, I guess, if it would happen. Uh, my only concern is if it maybe would divide the sport because i think that's what it did with uh with other with the with the freestyle as well that people started mm -hmm. to argue about it that this is not real anymore or you are a sellout mm -hmm. or of course there are systems to determine who is getting through to the 
to the Olympics from each country, but um, but maybe it would, in some people's eyes, erode the whole realness of the sport. Uh, but to be honest, I'm not sure. I think we have to try to really, really experience it. And, and I also don't think that uh, it would benefit me on my, with my shop because, uh, for example, if there is money to be made in Flatland, then there will be much bigger brands who will jump on it immediately, get mm. stuff organized, and I will be still the niche BMX shop. And I don't think that I would personally capitalize on any of that because um, I, st- I I don't do it now. I don't capitalize on mainstream now. And I don't think that I will, even if Flatland becomes the complete mainstream, which I don't think it will happen because it is just way too hard to do that. But in general popularity, yes, definitely it would help. Like the whole UCI, like a feast contests, I mm-hmm. think that helped a lot. I, I came across multiple people who told me that on feast they saw uh, flatland riding and it completely blew, blew their mind. They want to start with it. So that that's definitely true. I think the only question is just the scale of how how much money you have to pump into the whole thing to then get the sport to grow. Or maybe this money that you could put into a one-time event could be given to a school and that mm. would operate on like one year on that money or two years or whatever. It's a good point. I'm sure that uh, these events are also really important because it's like a festival. It's a celebration of the sport that the best riders are showing their best tricks. Of course, that's really, really important. I'm really not sure what is the best way to spend the money and also whose money you are spending. You know, you are spending state money, sponsorship money, or maybe some private individual's money. That's I have absolutely no idea what would be the best for that. However, I was thinking about to open a flatland school in Vienna as well. Because you have a lot of time on your hands. No, man. Uh, it's, that's why I never did it. Because first of all, I don't think that I'm on a level that I that after like a strong basic uh, skill set, I can give to the kids anything else, anything more. What I was talking about with other people. And the thing is that all the people who realized that their school would be needed in Vienna, are already way too busy to actually do it. Mm. And uh, that would be cool if there would be a couple of younger people in their 20s who have maybe more time and they could do it. But um, we don't have those people. Maybe I think in Vienna there is one guy, like one person who has already way too much things, way too many things to do. So um, yeah, it's strange because, for example, in this city, skateboard, there are multiple skateboard schools and camps. Yeah, volume, yeah. volume, volume, way more skaters. True. Yeah, yes. All right. What's the future for Attila and Four Pegs? Um, trying to save myself from complete burnout because <laughs> I think I'm working way too much and it's not healthy. Uh, I'm starting to get a little bit crazy about it as well. And uh, that's, that's my... So the future is basically optimizing everything I can and only, mm-hmm. only deal with parts and brands and uh, people I would like to deal with and just cut out all the nonsense and bullshit. Um, as I get older, I have less and less time for uh, for really nonsense things. And, and also, I don't have the patience to it. So that's definitely something I aim for. I want to ride again. I want to travel much more. Uh, that um, I want to pick a couple of people 
uh, that I can ride with to some locations, you know, like little four pegs mini trips where I can convince two or three people to come with me to a location I can film and they can do a couple of tricks and then the next the, to the next uh, location, another two or three people and then maybe like small small team trips like this. That would be also great, but uh, yeah, I, I need to, I need to put, yeah, less pressure on myself. That's for sure. Mm. But I, because I don't want to close the shop, you know, I don't want to just burn out and leave everything. I want to be here for uh, the customers, for the team riders, for people who like four pegs, and uh, I don't want to just hit and run and just disappear. So yeah. It's a little bit gloomy, though, what I answered just now. But yeah, that's no, that's, no, no, that's no. Actually, honest. it's yeah. it's very clear. No, no, it's not gloomy at all. Now, I've I've asked all the questions. So, do you have anything that to that you want to say that I haven't asked? A message you want to pass? Some people you want to thank? Anything? It's open for you. Um, thank you. Uh, first of all, yeah, thanks to you because thanks for taking the time. Uh, I really appreciate it because I'm sure that you also have other things to do. And thanks I for, uh, yeah, just taking the time um, for for me to just talk two uninterrupted hours about my stuff. Yeah, I, I really, really appreciate that. Also, thank I would like to thank to everybody who's supporting me and uh, supporting the whole shop or just with the philosophy or, uh, yeah, I, I can't really even begin to, to think. I mean, I don't have a list of people because it, we would stay here like another hour and uh, I don't want to go into that, but uh, I'm, I'm really, really grateful. And uh, I don't think that I could be, I could repay all the, all the help that I'm, I've been given uh, through all these years. And um, yeah, I just want to encourage everybody to, to just go out and ride and doesn't matter the bike and just, yeah, be out there and, and, enjoy it and just try to pass it down maybe to the next one or through a couple of generations that uh, that flatland is cool and it's I don't know it, it's hype and it's not a strange sport where old people go out to the parking lots on children's bikes but it's more like an art form where you can find myself find yourself and I think it's really really important yeah so uh, Attila, thanks so much for uh, uh, joining me on this episode. It was really interesting. I had a really good time. I hope you did too. And uh, I hope we can uh, meet uh, in the flesh sometime soon. So all the best to you in Vienna for the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time and thanks for all the listeners. And uh, yeah, all the best. And I also hope we can meet sometime. Cool. Hands by.